Hello, it's so good to have you with us here at Leadership for Sustainability. This is the podcast where we help you lead on sustainability to deliver results and make a real difference in the world. I'm Osbert Lancaster, longtime sustainability consultant and trainer, and co founder of Realize Earth. You also need a theory of change. If you haven't understood, what the big thing is you're trying to achieve and you haven't understood how you're going to achieve that thing, then you, then you have no theory of change and, and, and you're not going to achieve it. Bob Gordon told me that when he started out as head of sustainability with Nando's in the UK, he didn't really have a theory of change. However, Bob's now director of Zero Carbon Forum and has a very clear theory of change to support the hospitality sector to reduce and then eliminate their carbon footprint. In this interview, Bob shares some of his story on that journey and offers some really solid advice for sustainability managers and directors who want to get results and make a real difference, even at a time when businesses are facing acute commercial pressures. Bob, it is great to have you with us here on Leadership for Sustainability. So, as you know, the premise of the show is that we bring in sustainability directors and managers to share their experience. And you've been in those roles in the past and come really highly recommended. So we're really delighted you're here. But you're now director of Zero Carbon Forum. So what is Zero Carbon Forum and what does your role involve? So we are a collaboration of the hospitality sector to support the sector to get to net zero. So we work with around 60 companies across the sector, pubs, bars, restaurants, hotels, contract caterers. And we support them on their journey to net zero through individual support and collective support. So the individual support really is about the stuff, you know, that, that everybody's doing, cutting your energy use, your scope one and two emissions, so all, all, all the relatively straightforward stuff. And then the collective stuff is where we, where we delve into those things that are much harder to solve, systemic issues, issues that are bigger than any one operator. And we collaborate to understand what we can do and, and, and then do our very best in, in making a difference on those things. Great, thanks. So what, I mean, so maybe to say a little bit as well about your background, which sort of, as I'm judging what you're saying and looking at LinkedIn, has stood you in good stead for the role you've taken on? Yeah, absolutely. So my, I've been in sustainability probably close to 20 years now, and I've spent a lot of that time in advisory roles. So I was at the British Retail Consortium as their head of environment. So the go-between between government and the retail sector on sustainability issues. Previous to that, I was at a, a research organization researching corporate responses to environmental social governance issues. And then my kind of in-house experience, my operational experiences in the hospitality sector with Nando's. So I was with Nando's for eight years, five years in the UK and three years in Australia and New Zealand, where I, I ran that sustainability function. And, and, and now back in the UK. And, and so, you know, this was the perfect role for me to be in sustainability working with the with the entirety of the hospitality sector, which I, I adore, fabulous sector to be part of, but also in a kind of advisory role rather than run just working with one business. What's got you fired up or excited or positively or negatively about sustainability recently? We hear this term climate anxiety a lot. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I've got climate anxiety, but it's it's definitely on my mind all of the time. Do you know the thing that's really got me fired up at the moment is is our cognitive dissonance, is the reality of, of the science, which is overwhelmingly clear, our lived experience, these records being broken all of the time, particularly heat records. Um, and then the, the response that the press are not really leaning into it. Our government are absolutely not leaning into it. 
And whilst corporations have good intent and there's lots of good words coming out of them, we're really yet to see a radical transformation in the way that our economies are run. And, and, and we know really that that's what we need. So, so we continue to undermine the foundations of our civilization. You know, these ecosystems enable us to produce food and, and live. I, I saw a graphic recently on social media of, of areas of the world that will become unlivable at the four degree temperature rise. And it's it's fairly substantial, you know, and yet we continue and yet we continue to do these things that we know are causing the problem. It's, it's a really it's a really weird situation that we find ourselves in. Like, just want to shake everyone and everything and say, do it differently. Like, it's not this isn't this isn't new and it isn't new. It's, why are we not embracing this? You know? So maybe we're going to get more into this later on. But why do you think that is? Why is it so difficult? I, I, do you know, I, I don't know. I think it's. I think politically, it's very difficult to be the one that says, right, we, we've got to stop what we're doing. I think that's that's difficult for a number of reasons. I think because your political term is quite short, because you might throw a lot of resource into actually making change, and you won't see the results of that effort during your political time. You're also surrounded by a whole load of vested interests who are arguing the opposite. There's a, a, a media that isn't necessarily on board with this. And, and, you know, particularly one of the largest news corporations on the planet has not got behind the idea that climate change is a real thing, let alone that we need to radically address it. So I, ju I just think we find ourselves in a world of misinformation and lack of significant enough drivers to, to put the urgency behind what needs to happen. And so we rumble on and then we see delays and we see Oh well, we know it's serious, but but next time. I mean, the, one of the one of the most frustrating things is is this date twenty fifty. It's so far off that we can keep saying no. I mean, the, the the government a couple of years ago in the UK approved a coal mine, and people said, well, is this consistent with your target to be net zero by twenty fifty? And they said, oh yeah, because it'll be shut by twenty forty nine. It's like this is no, this is not the principle. This is not what we're saying. We're not saying we're going to do nothing until twenty forty nine, and then suddenly because that's not how it's going to work. We need to be changing the systems and changing some of the principles that underline the way that we run our economies. We need, so, I mean, we need to incentivize businesses. We need yes. those frameworks from government that incentivize businesses to act responsibly. Otherwise, they'll continue to act irresponsibly because they're commercial organizations that need to remain successful commercially. Yeah, it's easy to just point finger at the politicians and say, you know, they've got short terms and all the rest of it. And, but we, we've been hearing, we've heard for years about how Businesses you know, can take the lead on this stuff. They're innovative. They can make the difference. They don't need to wait for the political whatever. And there are some ex great examples of stuff happening. But and again, yes, every business has to live with the economic realities. Most of them don't want to put themselves intentionally out of business. So, but within scope for action they have, what's stopping them doing more? Do you think? I, I think right now it's acute commercial pressures. So one of my favourite cartoons at the, at the moment is one of three tsunamis hitting a coastline and they get progressively bigger. The first one says COVID, the second one says cost of living crisis and the third one says climate change. And climate change is the biggest threat that we face, but we're too busy picking ourselves back up from COVID and being hit by a second wave of the cost of living crisis. And so we're just not in a state, certainly within the hospitality sector, we're just not in a state to be thinking about that longer term crisis, it's it's quite hand to mouth at the moment and decisions are being made exactly like you say, businesses need to remain in business if, if they're to 
be progressive about this. Otherwise, of course, the super progressive answer is eliminate your carbon footprint by, by eliminating your business. But, but clearly that isn't the solution. We need more businesses to grow that have taken this seriously and are doing so with a very low carbon footprint. So one of the key things we need to be doing is getting more people, more business people, more people throughout organizations really on board with sustainability, engaged, and not just sort of engaged and aware, but actively infused and saying, we do need to do this. We want to do this. What experience from your work can you point to and say, yeah, we did some really interesting and effective stuff here around getting people engaged with sustainability? Yeah, I think as I kind of think back over the various roles that I've been in and, and where my strengths lie, I think engaging people is one of the things that I've always tried to do and, and, and one of the things that I, I'd like to think that I've done well. But I've always come at this from a point of view of having integrity, doing the right thing, just trying to speak honestly about, about how I'd feel based on the, the evidence as I see it and, uh, and just trying to be authentic and genuine about the way that we, we try and engage people on this. But I've certainly had some success in that. And, and as I think to some of my roles, I can probably put that down to the way that I've engaged people. Best success I've had in that approach is in-house. I was working for Nando's in the UK. I was hired as their first sustainability manager. And I think at the time that I started, we hadn't really as an organization got our heads around the scale of the climate challenge, but it was an incredibly strong culture, fabulous business to be working with. And, and so I had great conditions to work with of, a, of an incredibly welcoming, friendly group of people who want to do the right thing, wanted to be educated. So I was, and I was given platforms to stand up and, and educate, but, but the, the real moment of breakthrough came when we designed a program to donate our chicken at the end of the night. So, so the, the way things work in Nando's, as in many other hospitality organizations, is there's some pre-preparation. So chicken is cooked before the customer comes in, it's kept warm. So at the end of the night, there's always chicken that's been cooked and, and not served. So rather than throwing that in the bin, what we did was we put that in the freezer and then contacted local charities, got a relationship with the local charity, and then a local charity would come and collect any surplus chicken. From a sustainability point of view, absolutely fantastic project because it has a positive environmental outcome that chicken is now being eaten rather than being wasted, has a positive social outcome because you're feeding people who otherwise wouldn't get access to that really high quality protein. And for the Nandokas, for the, for the employees at Nando's who hated throwing away food at the end of the night, they now love that they're not just not throwing it away, they're doing something really, really positive with it. And, and so through that project, lots and lots of business, lots and lots of individual restaurants wanted to be involved. So we, we ran a trial in somewhere between 10 and 15 restaurants that worked out quite well. We worked with a third party to, to support in finding our charities. And, and then restaurants start finding out about it and contacting me. And, and the, I, I remember I spent hours of, of an evening responding to every single restaurant personally and individually. Not because I thought there was good strategy to that or good policy to doing that. And it was incredibly time consuming, but rather that that was the thing that would build engagement. If an individual from a restaurant had reached out to me, I wanted to respond to that personally. And I wanted to really engage them, not just in the individual initiative that we were running, but in the whole agenda of, yeah, you can do good, have a good time doing it and be more profitable as a result. It was a really in-depth exercise in building relationships 
um, rather than having a strategy or a policy that enabled us to move it forwards. And, and, and that came later. But in terms of engaging people to get us started, that was absolutely the, the way to do it. So I can imagine people listening to this saying, OK, that's a nice story. And that you, know, you talked about this welcoming atmosphere. People were on board, the, the, different, you know, the senior management were on board and enthusiastic about sustainability. Restaurant managers and the other staff were like, yeah, we're up for this as well. I can imagine a lot of people thinking, well, that's not the situation I'm in. What, what's your, you know, what's your advice or your ex- other experiences? And maybe how do you do this in a more, what you, what you imagine is a less welcoming atmosphere? Yeah, no, a, a great question. And I don't want to draw an idyllic picture that everything was roses because it was still really hard work. But I think in the majority of cases now, people aren't aggressively trying to block action. I think, and, and someone once said it to me in, in one of my roles, if you can help us be more profitable, make it operationally more efficient and save the planet, you won't have any problem from me. And that's quite a tall order, of course, to be able to tick all of those boxes every time. So definitely there's a difference between that emotional engagement and then actually making things happen. And I think there is a much longer term investment in terms of getting a really strong foundational evidence base, writing a strategy that will enable you to achieve the things that you want to achieve, that align with your values, that align with your business purpose, that align with your annual business plan. So so you can weave what you're doing into wider benefits rather than it being an emotional engagement point. I think the emotional engagement point is a really good first point of call. And I think you have to invest there to get started. That opens the door to enable you to do the hard work. But 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 I had to do a lot of, of that hard work as well. And and and, and subsequent people subsequent to me continue to do that hard work because it needs to have a, a really robust business case. Because when you get up to the exec team, they're making robust business decisions based on on good evidence. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I guess to what extent do you feel that whether that's senior management like signing off on this strategy or whether it's other people operationally buying into it, putting their time into it and so on. To what extent do you feel that they're saying, show me ways of you know improving the business, reducing costs and so on. And if you save the planet as well, that's fine. But or is, you know, are there more people in there who are saying, like, we want you know, we believe this is important as well. We're trying to find a way of doing it, which is also good for the business. Yeah, well, in my experience nowadays, responses to climate change is just like any other business function. If you have, whether it's your people function or your marketing function, or your product development or your purchasing decisions, whatever it is, if you have a, a an idea of a way that things can be done differently or better, if you have a problem you need to solve, you need to go and do your foundational work of what is the way we're going to solve this problem. And then you need to present a case that, a costed case, that argues here's the deliverables, here's the value of those deliverables, here's the timeframes and the costs, and this is why I, I make this recommendation. It's no different to to any of those other functions nowadays. I, th- I think I've certainly in my career seen my role evolve significantly. So 10 or 15 years ago, really the job was to have the ability to stand on a platform and, and shout really loud, we've got a problem, we've got a problem. And people would go, have we really? Today, you can shout on a platform, we've got a problem, we've got a problem, and everyone goes, we know, 
can you get on with solving it, please? So the role has really changed to, okay, I'm going to get on with solving it. I'm going to do the math on what it's going to cost, what the impacts are. So for us, in the process we use at Forum now, it's very much about, right, let's get you a foundational carbon footprint so you understand where your impacts are. Let's do, we, we create a thing we call a climate action plan, which is effectively 150 initiatives you can undertake across, across your business that will put in place governance and strategy foundations and then take action on all of energy, water, waste, purchase goods and services, et cetera. So you're, so you're looking at what are my impacts and then what are the levers that I can pull to do something about that? We then categorize those as whether they'll cut your cost, build your brand, build resilience. And so we're looking at strategically then, here's a problem, here's a set of levers you can pull, here's the value of each of those levers. Right, now let's make a plan as to which of those levers we're going to pull in which order. So it becomes quite a... As I say, just like any other function, it, it doesn't rely now on an emotional buy-in of do you get it or not. It relies on, well, does the evidence tell me this is a smart decision or not? When you look at things like TCFD, the, the task force on climate-related financial disclosures, that's a, that's a requirement for larger businesses now to start to look at what their risks are. When you start to look at those risks, whether those risks are genuine physical risks or whether they're transitional risks, whether that is, right, we're at risk that we won't be able to produce our core commodities because of heat and impact on, on the climate that will impact our ability to grow crops. Or whether that risk is people will stop buying from us if they do not perceive us to be a responsible company. Those are very real business risks now. Now, the way in which you quantify those risks is important. But if we quantify those risks, then we can start making a business case that says, look, if you don't manage this risk, then your business will be in this situation in five years' time versus this situation in five years' time. And we can start to do some modelling of, well, what actions do I need to take to make myself both more profitable and more resilient to those risks over, over the longer term? Now, are you talking there specifically about carbon and climate, or is, is the, just the wider sustainability elements follow the same sort of pattern? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's not just about climate, right? So uh, I think actually in, in the fields, one of our bigger risks is loss of biodiversity. In consumer perceptions, certainly consumer perception of fossil fuels is changing radically. I think people's perception of meat and dairy is changing fairly, fairly rapidly. But then you get into some other stuff. So people's perception of tobacco obviously changed substantially over the last 30 years. How are attitudes to, to alcohol changing? Because we, we hear frequently, whether it's alcohol or, or, or meat and dairy, you know, that there's a substantial rise in young people who are not eating meat or dairy and, and not drinking alcohol. So, so what are those trends and, and what's driving them? And so which, how do you want to build your business so that you're aligned with those trends? Or, or certainly not missing out on those big risks that, that will ultimately become existential for your business. So it sounds like particularly... I guess there'll be similar issues in many industries, but you're talking here about hospitality particularly. And there's some really big hitters in terms of the carbon footprint and other sustainability you know, measures in, in, in that, that sector. To what, yeah, to what extent do you think, or your experience really, is like that senior management are and direct you know, boards are up for some of these more existential type conversations, you know, discussions around, well, yeah, you know, this is you know sort of the the core of our business is based around a a product which is essentially unsustainable. What you know, and that is that's a difficult conversation to have. But I know those conversations happening. Yeah, I, I, I think it, a board that's functioning well is one that's understanding all of its risks and and 
making good strategic plans to manage those. And I, I think increasingly it's understood that climate change, biodiversity loss, or, or all of these associated challenges that we have and resource scarcity, that th those are existential. But I think we can look at risk in terms of the likelihood that that thing is going to happen and the impact that thing will have if it does happen. We didn't necessarily see COVID coming and, and the impact that would have. I'm not saying it was completely out of the blue. Lots of people were saying that we would do something like that to happen. But the way in which that played out and the lack of preparedness from so many different parts of our society goes to show that something where we thought it was such a low probability that we weren't prepared for it can so radically transform our economies. I don't think we see now that changing climate is a risk. That, that, that is now an inevitability. The question is, to what extent will that impact the way in which you do business? And so if a board is not looking at this, I think they're fundamentally missing the realities of the things that they need to be facing into, which is managing the risks of their business so that their business can continue to operate. In, in, sorry, to, to answer the question a little bit more directly, we've just, in the last six or eight weeks, been talking with some businesses, our members, about offering a board masterclass, some climate literacy training and tremendous interest. And lots of people have just caught wind of it and they've gone, what, what, what's that? I want to know about that. Yeah, we want that. And so that's something we're now accelerating, I think, in quite quickly because we think there's demand. Boards in the hospitality sector I think there's an awareness that they don't understand the issues and the risks well enough and, and they want to know them better because they know this is something they need to manage. I'd like to take a moment just now to let you know about our next event. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that most people are concerned about climate change and would like to make more sustainable choices in their lives. Despite this open door, most business sustainability initiatives fail to engage staff and, as a result, they miss their targets. The reason is that most initiatives don't pay enough attention to what genuinely motivates colleagues, nor do they recognise the barriers that hold back even the most highly motivated employees from taking action. On Wednesday the 22nd of May, join me and Jamie, the creator of the Most Sustainable Workplace Index, and learn how the index can help you tap into and unlock most employees' latent motivation to do the right thing for people and planet. You'll discover how the index can help you to gather hard evidence of what's working and what needs attention across locations and divisions and seniority levels. You'll identify the focus areas where the sustainability team, L&D, HR and so on, should allocate time and resources to make the most progress. And you'll discover how you can demonstrate year-on-year -year progress with consistent and comparable data on sustainability culture. And you can use that for action planning, reporting, benchmarking and accreditation. Do join us on Wednesday the 22nd of May. You'll find the link in the show notes. That's that's really encouraging to hear. Where do you think uh, I know you've you've set out earlier on your sort of the you know the steps in terms of engaging people and then looking at the operational issues and how do you make this how do you you know cost cost the, your your programs and so on. In terms of supporting that, you know, a sustainability director, manager, someone leading on sustainability in, in any business, what's the key sort of not necessarily skill set, but characteristic they need to have to lead this lead this sort of work? I, I think there's definitely more than one way to do it. So I, I think it's it, I think a key characteristic, and I don't mean this lightly, is be a capable human. You know, build strong relationships with your key stakeholders. Be a good project manager. 
get good foundational evidence. Take it very seriously. Take the, don't, don't rely on the emotional argument. Take putting together your case very, very seriously. And, and, and I see this, I be, see people who've come out of finance and gone into sustainability who are tremendously successful. I've seen people come out, of, people function out of marketing function and all come to sustainability and be tremendously successful. I don't think there's a key skill set. I think there's, there's just that there is a process as there is with every other business function of do your homework, make sure your audience is, is ready to read your homework and happy to accept homework for you from you so you've got a good relationship with them and then present that homework well and get good decision so what i'm hearing there really it comes down to comes down to relationships fundamentally i i think relationships is such a huge part of it i think if your if your board doesn't see value in what you do and don't trust you in the work that you do to do it to do a good job for them then i think you've got a problem Whereas if they do trust you and they do like you and they're prepared to hear it from you, it's, do you know, I remember, I remember meeting a, a consultant, internal consultant actually within the Nando's ecosystem. And we, we were working on a different project together, but he, he came over from South Africa. He was an incredibly insightful, incredibly intelligent man. And we, we sat down and we just started talking. He wanted to hear about what I was doing as part of the sustainability program. And he said to me, what's your theory of change? And at the time, I didn't really have a theory of change. At the time, I was really just trying to build my engagement. And I was just throwing myself at any doors that looked like they, they would open with a little bit of pressure. But as we spent a couple of hours together, we kept bumping into people around the office. And every time we bumped into someone, I'd just, tr I'd just try and get them with something. I'd say, oh, that thing we were talking about the other day, did you see this? Did you see that? Have you thought about this? Can we get some time later? And, and after a couple of hours with me, he said, I see your theory of change. It's ambush. And, and I was just spending a lot of my time just trying to build relationships with people. And I, th I think that is foundational. But I also think, and, and, and I learned a lot from just him asking that question. I, I see it fundamentally differently now. You also need a theory of change. If you haven't understood what the big thing is you're trying to achieve and you haven't understood how you're going to achieve that thing, then you, then you have no theory of change and, and, and you're not going to achieve it. So if I think about within the restaurant sector, for a lot of restaurants, meat is the single biggest part of their footprint. You can think of several brands where that would be true particularly given the impact of meat relative to plant-based diet. If they are to achieve net zero, as many of them have set themselves targets to do, they will need to do one of at least two things. But I think crudely, we can cut it one of two ways. They either need to radically reduce the amount of meat that they serve, or they need to radically reduce the impact of producing that meat. So their theory of change hangs really on one of those two sides, or, or, or with both of them running at the same time, but that, that can all be woven into a theory of change. But if they're not leaning into one of those two really, really hard questions of how do we steer our consumers down a different route or how do we work with our suppliers to radically change the method of production, then they're pissing in the wind. You need a strong theory of change of what is the outcome I want to achieve here? What is the thing I am going to change in my role? And therefore, how am I going to go about doing that is absolutely critical. Yeah, that, that seems to me like it's, I can say the knob of it. It's, certainly, it's one of the knobs of it, absolutely. It's like... Yeah, that's what I was talking about. I guess what I was trying to get to earlier on about what's this, you know, is this tackling the core elements of the business strategy, essentially? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Great. So, yeah, so in, so moving on, so moving on, 
where does, what's next? What's the, you know, you've been talking about, you know, sort of you know, where you are with some of the, you're giving some examples from your previous career, some of the stuff that's happening around Zero Carbon Forum, which sounds really interesting. What's next? And I guess maybe this is either for you personally or for sort of your work in the sector, but what needs to, what needs to really shift that you can have some sort of influence or control over? What can you, what are you trying to unlock or to leverage to really help things move forward, do you think? I think that's, that is the question. That's the question I'm asking myself a lot. And I, I think it, it comes back to that theory of change point. My question that I'm asking myself a lot at the moment is what is our theory of change as the Zero Carbon Forum? So we support a whole bunch of organizations in the industry. We're, we're a small team. And so a lot of that time is spent on responding to their queries and connecting them and, and the day job. But how are we going to drive the sector? How are we going to steer the sector? What is it we can do to just nudge everyone in the right direction so that they're starting to tackle those really big questions and they're starting to have really big things? big impact in the way that they're changing their businesses. That's that's really hard. I think that's that's going to keep us busy for some time. But it's one of the mechanisms that we have to do that is we, we run a, a, a series of what we call action groups where we effectively ask ourselves a, a difficult exam question and then we collectively go about trying to answer that exam question so that we can move forward. So whether that's about dairy or regenerative agriculture or engaging suppliers or, or, or whatever the issue is, how, how are we going to resolve this topic? think the action groups is a way for us to do that and so we might then start to think about well what are our action groups on radically changing food production system what's our action group on dietary change what are the levers we can pull how can we then demonstrate that as best practice demonstrate the business case enable businesses to take that forwards and go and run with that themselves so so we're not just responding to the industry but rather we're leading the industry and, and, and that's something we're working on all of the time. And I think that there are ways that we do it well and there are ways that, that we could do it better. But, but that's definitely what sounds. That sounds really exciting and really sort of both pragmatic, but you know, also sort of visionary in the sense of this is about bringing the people who, you know, who care about this stuff, who need to deal with it, bringing them together to work together on this rather than sitting in one's, <laughs> You know, sitting with a small team, looking at one's whiteboard or whatever it is, and trying to work stuff out yourself. It's about bringing everyone on board with this and sharing that, sharing that journey. Uh, absolutely, hundred percent. In my experience, what we see within the sector, and I'm sure this is similar in lots of other sectors, is if we were to break it down on the diffusion of innovation of of how fast and how far people have come. There's people who haven't done very much yet, and we can deliver them tremendous value because because we can help them get on the road. We can do them a footprint climate action plan and just get them started. There's a whole bunch of people in the middle who can still learn from the leaders and we deliver them tremendous value by connecting them. There's a small group of people who think they're leaders and they think they don't need the collaborative approach. And, and those people say, oh, I don't need the forum. I'm already all over it. And then there's another group who, to my mind, really are the leaders who are in the forum, who've got as far as I know I'm on top of it, and I know I'm, I'm not good enough to solve it on my own. I know I need to work collaboratively. I know I need systems change. I know I need sectoral change. I know I need to collaborate with my peers to change a narrative that enables me to, to make meaningful change. And they're the real leaders. And, and there, we work with a lot of them. And so absolutely right. It's not just a small team staring at a whiteboard. It's us actively engaging with those leaders and saying, well, how do we solve this together collectively? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds that sounds so 
exactly what's required. And I guess, and something else I really, you know, really liked about what you were saying there was this you know, sort of essentially segmenting the market and saying there are these different people at different stages of their journey. And I think one of the things which winds me up quite a lot, I think, is there seems to be a lot of an assumption that that there's a there's a sort of amorphous mass of businesses that need to be either convinced or sold a sold a carbon metrics tool or something, whatever it is. It's like without taking any account that people people are at really different organizations at really different stages with this. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But what's really interesting sometimes is that we see that the ones who've come to it they almost haven't slowed themselves down with their indecision over a number of years. They come to it now. There's a really clear case now. There's some really clear, well-trodden paths. And they go, oh, I need to do that. Okay, let's do that. And we see some people come to us and make tremendous progress really, really quickly because they've got no baggage and, and, and they can just run at speed. And there are a number of companies who've been asking themselves questions and going around and around for quite some time without being able to move at that speed. So I don't think... Your ability to make progress is, is based on how much you've thought about this to date. Your ability to make progress is based on how fast can you run from here. That's where putting it. So meeting some meeting a, another sustainability leader, director, sustainability manager, you're going to recommend one book, an article, a video, something to, whether that's to get them thinking, get them inspired, to give them, help them think differently, but you choose what the what the sort of what the what the need is, but you know, what would you what would you be recommending to people? Do you know when when I started out in sustainability, there were kind of ten examples globally of, of things companies had done, and 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 now you can get onto LinkedIn or, or Twitter and you can find ten examples in thirty minutes. Like the world is awash with great stories. I, personally, I like a documentary. Both Cowspiracy and Seaspiracy, I thought were really compelling in in terms of things I've watched recently. I've been reading and watching a fair amount of stuff about regenerative agriculture. Kiss the Soil, or Kiss the Ground rather, was one from Netflix a few years ago. I've just come out of Groundswell Festival, which is a regenerative farming festival. It's, it's really a kind of two-day conference, but it's in a field. And it's done, it, it kind of brands itself as, as the Glastonbury of, of agriculture. And it's a fantastic, inspiring couple of days. There's, and, and, and you can get onto the Groundswell YouTube channel and, and just watch all of those talks at, at your leisure. So there's loads of information out there. But for someone who's not a sustainability leader, I've also I've just finished Greta Thunberg's book, The Climate Book, mm-hmm. which I think is a really excellent entry book because it covers a really broad spectrum of the issues. And it's not written by Greta. She's made contributions, but she's found lots of people who've made contributions. So it's all experts writing short essays that just give you a really good foundational overview of what are all the issues here. And and one of the things that it did for me as I was reading it was it really just confirmed the patterns. And the patterns are all of these indicators are going in similar directions for similar reasons. We need to radically rethink. But it does that in, in a way in which it enables you to dip in and out. Nice. Nice list of things there. I will add them to the show notes. Some of them I'm familiar with, some I'm not. So I'll take a look. Right. Bob, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear some of your story. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation with Bob. So I want to take a few moments to pull together some of the ideas that seem particularly important to me. Let's start with Bob's theory of change, as I understand it. First, you need to build strong relationships with your colleagues and other stakeholders. 
These relationships mean that when you go back to people with proposals for action, they'll listen because they trust you. Second, building people's emotional engagement with sustainability is important, but it's not enough by itself. You need the third aspect, which is building a really robust business case. It's hard work, but when sustainability leaders take this approach, senior management do respond and implement changes that deliver results for climate and for sustainability. But is this really enough? After all, Bob said early on that we're undermining the foundations of our civilization, And despite good intent among businesses, we're not seeing the radical transformation that's needed in the way our economies are run. I think this is the crux of the issue for many of us in the sustainability space. We do see elements of real progress, but at the same time, we know that it's not nearly enough given the scale of the problem. And that can be really disheartening, to put it mildly. But it needn't be if you take an innovation diffusion lens to the situation. This means recognising that different people and organisations are at different stages on their journey. For many businesses, incorporating climate and other sustainability issues alongside other risks and business functions makes perfect sense. It's what they have the capacity to deal with at the moment, especially when they face acute commercial pressures. But other people recognise that while this change is important, it won't deliver the transformational changes we need. And they recognise that this isn't something they or their organisation can tackle alone. These people, who Bob calls the real leaders, know that they need to work collaboratively with others in their sector to change the system to make meaningful change in the world. Bob puts this in the context of the Zero Carbon Forum, which not only helps hospitality businesses get started with working on climate operationally and strategically, but also supports sustainability leaders to work collaboratively to tackle systemic sustainability challenges in the sector. If you're in the hospitality industry, you should definitely check out the Zero Carbon Forum at zerocarbonforum.com. You can also contact Bob Gordon via LinkedIn. I'll add these links to the show notes. And you'll also find links there to some of the other resources that Bob mentioned. Bob's theory of change is very similar to ours here at Realise Earth. We describe the steps slightly differently, but fundamentally we share the same approach. If you'd like to make more progress on sustainability in your organisation or sector, do get in touch. I'd love to hear what you're trying to do. It may be that we can help, and if not, we may know someone who can. You'll find my contact details on our website, realise.earth, or find me on LinkedIn. I'm Osbert Lancaster, and I hope this episode of Leadership for Sustainability will help you lead on sustainability in your organisation. What you're doing is so important, now more than ever. Be sure to look after yourself. Bye for now.